welcome to Stone Alchemy. I'm Mikey D on the side of the mic, and my buddy Russ is on the other. Join us around this mystical fire, and we'll attempt to make gold of any wedding topic, and vice versa. From pizza on Boiker to mushroom seekers from Zeta Reticuli, and everything in between. Nothing is off topic when you dabble in Stone Alchemy. I was racing through Times Square traffic to get back to the set. It was hot out, the AC wasn't working, and I was low on gas. And if anyone says you could produce, co-direct, and be the first assistant director at the same time on a feature motion picture, tell them they're nuts. Hello? Hey Cheryl, I'm on the way now. What? No, no, no. The Nagra goes to George on 23rd for repair. Hot Lights has a replacement on 26th Street. You got the addresses backwards. Huh. What do you mean, stuck? Why did he take the Queensboro? Okay, listen, look. From the contact list, call John Cabanaro. He'll send a tow truck or coolant or whatever they need. Those rental trucks are pieces of shit. I don't care how good the rates are. This van should go back too. The AC blows hot air. What do you mean the kid passed out? Is he alright? Is he dead? Uh huh? Okay. Get him a taxi and send him home when he can stand up. I'll call his parents later. I know we're short staff. Help is on the way. What the fuck? Hey, you think I could get some change? Hey, come on, man. I'm busy. Hey. I said, can I get some change? Here. Jesus Christ. What? No, no. That was a look. Never mind. Is Mike around? Let me speak with him. Mike? Mike? How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I know about the kid. Probably heat stroke. Huh? No, no. That's not what we talked about. Mike, can't you just talk to her, ask her to stop yelling out the frickin' window? Moving these scenes around now is fucking insane. Why can't the cops tell her to stop? We have film permits. We can do whatever the hell we want. Jesus, man. I'll have to redo the board to move those scenes around. This'll change scheduling for the whole week. I know, I know. Okay, I'll, I'll see you soon. Fuck, fuck, fuck. That was a typical day. Not a bad day, or a good day, just typical. And I love it. At least that's what I tell myself. I am too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me. And I am too sexy for this song. Okay, that was The Van by Russ. That's, boy, this brings back some memories. So today we're doing something, you know, for you, those of you who don't know, me and Russ back in the early 90s uh, made movies. And it all culminated in a feature film called No Exit. Now, we would, me and Russ were hanging out recently, and we started discussing No Exit and the crazy, insane times we had making it. Uh-huh. And we realized there were a lot of really, really good stories that would come out of, of the making of that film. So uh, we decided to start off with a, would do a podcast, do this episode, talking about a couple of those stories 
and then maybe we'll do more of these or maybe even build this into something bigger. Uh, yeah. But we'll that's more about that another time. But the van, the van is uh, Russ's tale today. And it's not a tale because it's true, all too true. Boy, I didn't realize, Russ, the uh, I guess we, we were away from each other a lot during this shoot because you were producing and running around like a maniac obviously with this. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so this is yeah, great i love the i love the music the music choice i love the uh the, the way it was the, the production yeah, of it is fantastic i love the sound effects of driving through the city bring me, bring me back to that day well, well, uh, more than one. well the, there was one little uh, lie that i told in that story uh i did not co-direct the film um i, I did co-produce and co-create the story but I was not the director. That was a little embellishment there. But it was just trying to make it more dramatic, I guess. But that tale is basically, if you're doing an independent film, it's a lot of work. And you have to wear multiple hats. And and I remember many times traveling or driving, and you got a cell phone in your hand, and you're trying to drive, and you're trying to accomplish things, and you're trying to solve problems. And things just go wrong sometimes, you know? Like That day, I remember... One of the interns fainted. I vaguely remember that, uh, but you you mentioned the story. (laughs) That was true. You know, a kid, a high school kid actually passed out. And and, and we were so caught up in everything that it seems like we were being cruel and harsh. But we we had to just basically dump him into a cafeteria and had him lay down on a table until he felt better. And then we sent him home. So that was up in East Harlem when he's in the uh, yeah. the grammar the grammar school cafeteria. We used that as holding, I remember. Right. Yeah. Just so everyone knows, the majority of this film was shot up in East Harlem. That's Mike's old neighborhood, about 116th Street. 118. Yeah. 118th Street, Pleasant Avenue. Not so much now, but back then it was still a little rough around the edges, and it was much rougher even a little bit earlier. But we shot the film in that neighborhood. It had a great look to it. And a lot of people in the neighborhood really came together and helped us with a lot of different things. So that was, yeah. And it's, you mentioned uh, when you were driving on with a cell phone. Now, now this was 92. Cell mm-hmm. phones, or 94. Cell phones weren't as common. No, and, they, and the batteries really were terrible, too, I might add. But people had them, and they were expensive. You're talking about almost a dollar a minute to make a phone call. Yeah, so, I remember back back then it was not cheap, and it was rare. It was actually quite rare uh, to have a, to see people with a cell phone. Yeah, I remember people... Buckley, our producer, was. We'll have many many stories about David Buckley, who who produced. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the, the executive producers on the film, helped raise the money. Uh, but boy, we had a bizarre relationship uh, with him. So Russ, you were I remember you were supposed to be the first AD, plus. The producer, which really are two contradict each other because the first idea is supposed to be on the set full time and the producer <laughs> runs around like a maniac. Well, so we didn't really we, know that. <laughs> I know. The crew used to complain. Where's our, where's our first AD? Where's I remember the there were three AD? things that the crew wanted so badly. One was a first AD. One was well, walkie talkies, which, yeah. damn it, we should have. they should have had walkie talkies. It was ridiculous. Buckley wouldn't spring for that. It was silly. And I think better, I guess, better food. Oh, and a megaphone. <laughs> oh, and a megaphone would have been nice, too. Well, but I the mean, food. It, it was a very low-budget film, and we had such an incredible vision of what to do for a feature film. And we boldly went ahead and tried to do these things, only realizing multiple times that 
this was not possible or we had to improvise something else or we had to combine multiple scenes because we couldn't possibly be at four different locations on the same day and shoot 12 right. pages in a well, day. Well, we thought we weren't, even though we had done films before, but it was shorts, we definitely learned uh, about the, you know, the feature. It just, it takes time. And, you know, some of our setups that me and Dave uh, came up with, we had to simplify a lot because they, they were just too complicated. I wanted to do a, bunch, a lot more dolly shots, but I really learned quickly that dolly shots take time to set up and to rehearse and to rehearse the, the, the focus pulling. And, you know, what that means Absolutely. is if you move the camera along dolly tracks, uh, the, fo- the assistant camera has to change the focal length of the, of the lens. And that has to be rehearsed because if you don't do that perfect, you're going to see blurry moments of, of footage and that doesn't, you can't do that. When you're dealing with more people that are helping you to make your, your dream come to life, you have to rely on these people. And I think, I think prior to No Exit, we had such control of... We had of, tiny, tiny crews on the show. very, show. very tiny crews. And they were like family and friends. And right. so you, you could be a little bit more abusive with your family <laughs> and friends than, say, a crew of people who are basically just doing it because they want a job. a paycheck. Up. Yeah. They get a paycheck. So we, unfortunately, earlier on made mistakes of really providing terrible food. Oh, and and we had no snacks. We had no craft services, really. Right. And, and these are things that people, expect. I think now people expected. But back then it was kind of. You know, put a tray or something out or put a right. bag of chips or something, you and know, con- coffee constantly. Should and, be and we were doing like 18 hour days and the crew was we were like losing crew members and people were dying on us left and right. You know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the, uh, it was the first time we worked with a, with a real crew, you know, yeah. with an actual real professional crew who was who were there, like you said, just for a paycheck. And they were great. Guys. Most of them were really great guys and they yes. worked their asses off. Uh, especially Dick Brooks, our DP, was was a character, and we'll have many stories about Dick uh, if we continue this, uh, this, you know, these no exit tales. But just quickly, let me just let the people know: no exit, although it had got very little distribution. I mean, it did get sold to Germany, and I have actually have a German DVD of it. It had a lot of names in it that people would know. It had Vinnie Pastor from The Sopranos, it had Nick Sandow from Orange Is the New Black, it had Judy Reyes from Scrubs. It had uh, a bunch of uh, not Arthur Nascarella from Sopranos and many mm-hmm. movies. It had actually a really good majority of the cast was, was great and have gone on to do a lot of stuff. But this film, unfortunately, sort of just died. And I think a lot of that had to do with the timing. Uh, at the time, there had been a bunch of these urban dramas, uh, like mafia type urban dramas. And I think by the time No Exit came out, people had seen enough of them. Mm-hmm. I think if this film, if No Wings would have come out two years earlier, I think it would have been huge. Well, that was the intent, but we we actually had a star slated for the for the lead role. We had Vincent Cardinia. Ah, right. If you go back to play the lead, and that was a couple of years before that, and we were pretty gung ho. I think he was in New York, um, mm-hmm. and we did that photo shoot that on photo your shoot roof. On the roof, yeah. On your roof. He was really into it. It was a very different story too. It was a, it wasn't as violent or as bloody or right. But the point is, he died. <laughs> he died. That's the truth. He, he died. died, and then and then the whole thing just fell through, and we had to basically start again from a very different perspective. Very with, different. And yeah, different, with different people and different producers, right. and and a different set of expectations to in order to make the project happen and you make a lot of concessions 
we did, uh, but we did a decent budget. I think the total budget was over two hundred thousand, which was a decent number, well, amount of money for that time. Yeah, but that's inclu- the the shooting budget was about sixty five thousand. Right. Right. And I think more was spent on post production. Yeah, a lot of audio. And then the reshoots with Frank Zagarino. Oh, that's a whole other story. Um, more money was spent on that that probably than than the original. It was. Shoot. They, they put that company put that money up that that, that came in. Well, that's a whole other story. Let's go back to your your story though. You're driving. Tell me what um, like what was a typical day for you? Because for me, I had to like go on. I was on the set. I was you know, directing the film. But for you, a lot of times I didn't see you all day. Like, and I know you. I, when you did show up, you were sometimes often frazzled. <laughs> you know, I, well, so I, was, I was in a bar a lot. No. <laughs> so tell me, tell me what like a typical day. Tell everybody a typical day on that set. Goodness, it, it was. Being very up early, Jeff was our head PA. He usually handled a lot of the driving. But basically looking at the shots, seeing what we needed, making sure everything was in place, making sure the permits were in place, make sure all the equipment was going to be where it needed to be, make sure that the crew knew what was going on, and the cast, of course, make sure everyone was as happy as they possibly could be. Just make sure everything was in place and set, at least for the for the short term. Of course, when things started going falling apart like if we, like the van had a problem we had a radiator leak so we lost transportation and we had to make sure um the police were going to be at a certain location to watch the streets because we were doing some stuff there with guns with 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 guns and and you know firing shots on the street uh that'll that'll be yeah. the next story we'll get a little funny tale about that but there's a very funny tale about that um but really, it was make sure everything was okay, make sure everything was running, make sure, and then dealing with the money also, you know, which was another pain in the ass because we agreed to to pay the crew a certain way, and we were getting money that was coming in from out of state and trying to get funds cleared. There was a lot of there was always there was always juggling between that getting equipment equipment failures, getting equipment replaced. One time we were so short staffed, I had to go out to Long Island City with the truck by myself to unload equipment that the guy needed back and pick up replacement equipment. And I pull up to the place and the owner of, of this huge professional film production equipment. I remember visiting that. Yeah. I remember that place. Walks out and he goes, where's your crew? <laughs> like, You're looking at him. And it's like, he's like, Oh, are you, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I'll do what I can. So he actually helped me. The owner of the place helped me unload and load the truck. That's cool. And I had to drive the truck all the way back to uh, East Harlem. There's so many small little things that there's so many little things that pop up, you know. Remember, uh, I, I remember one 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 day in particular. Well, we also shot in Queens for a week. There was a bar in Queens. And in Queensbridge. Uh, Queensbridge, Queensbridge, Queens was a shitty neighborhood. And but the one of the actors, his name was uh, uh, Lenny, uh, who played one of the character, played the head mafia guy in the movie owned the bar and he let us shoot in it for he closed the bar for a week to let us shoot in there and mm-hmm. I, I remember one day we had one crew guy his name was peter and he's no longer with us he uh he od died i'm not surprised uh, he well, he od'd and he was definitely doing a lot of coke on the shoot and he got into a fight with one of our leading actors which was a disaster oh. and, uh, we had one of firing him uh, but I think we'll have a, we'll probably talk about that in much much more detail. Yeah, that's another podcast on its own. That that story. Yeah, we were in that that bar again. Mike said the bar was closed down for a week. 
and it was in in the middle of summer. It's quite hot. You're in this. It was bar. really hot that week. Yeah. And, yeah. I remember it was in the mid 90s and really humid. And you can't like really have air conditioning. You can't have the AC right. pumping when you're shooting because you got to record audio. So all these people in this hot bar, and it was just dank. Oh, yeah, it was it was it was really sweaty. Tempers I mean, I ran was a backyard. Tempers did run high sometimes. There was a backyard I remember we used to hang out in, in to cool down a bit or in the front of the bar. But uh, remember, uh, and this is something that you had to deal with, I, I think, uh, with Buckley was the situation that happened with the crew. Now, he had a we had a lot of scenes with guys at the bar drinking and there was a poker game with people sitting around drinking. Now, normally, when you make a movie, people drink soda or, you know, or, uh, or colored water, colored water like or something, this. iced tea. Mm-hmm. These guys decided they were going to take top shelf stuff off the bar and really drink. Yeah. Remember yeah, what, so, the, so what, we, what happened with it? Tell us about that. After a day of doing this, these guys are pretty loaded. They drank a lot of booze and, and we get handed a bar bill <laughs> for this. Uh, it was like over 600 bucks or something like that. I forgot it was 800. Yeah. There was a lot of money and, 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 and the executive producer was really pissed. He I don't blame really, him. I don't blame him either. And that was a big mistake. That, that was our mistake. mistake. We should have more control over the, but over the it's cast. kind of funny to think that these guys were actually really drinking. I know. And, and they were drinking a lot of booze and you know, Johnny Walker Black, Kavasi, yeah, yeah, expensive bad. stuff, good tequila, man. And then, well, the scene was pretty cool though. It looked good, but when you think about that scene, it was it was real. That was the real thing. Well, I remember it had to end up with a fight, like a big crazy fight with everyone battling. They rolling each other, yeah. And how many takes did we do? We did way too many takes of that. I remember we must have done like eight takes. It was a long scene too. Well, and we wound up using this, you know, a small part. As always, you go for the, you wind up using the first or second take. And, and, with, the best. and with booze, you know, people don't really listen when they're when they're yeah. boozed up, and we kind of lost control of our did, cast. Did and we did a bit? Didn't you make that? I mean, didn't you the one? You the one that came in and sort of said like, no more drinking real alcohol. Like yeah, you gotta, yeah. somebody had to put their foot down after a while and just say, we, no more, no one is allowed to touch the booze <laughs> in this place. Oh, and then we needed a drink after all. Oh my god. And there was nothing left to drink. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, but yeah, you had it. You had, I mean, well, here's something that you were involved with also is we had a, we, like we said, we mentioned, we did a lot of shooting, like, you know, with guns and obviously they're blanks, but we had a, a, a firearms expert. Tell us who that was. Yeah. My father was licensed at the federal level to, to deal with firearms and different things. And he's a firearms expert. Let's just leave it at that. And so he, he was on set for a few days to help, show the crew and keep things nice and safe. Cause even though you're dealing with, with blanks, you know, they still could be quite dangerous. Yes. You know, I forgot, it's happened many times in the past where an actor got killed because he put a gun up next to his, his head. Right. With, with a blank. blank, you know, the, the wad can come out and kill you. Well, that's the um, famous guy, the guy that played Bruce Lee or the Bruce Lee's son or something. Well, who was it? Was it Bruce Lee's son that got I'm killed? Try- I don't remember. On the crow, the movie he put, he did this, he did exactly that. He put the yeah. gun, and it was it was a blank, but he killed him. So it's terrible. Yeah. yeah guns real or not, they're not toys. My dad had so much fun because here he is in the streets of East Harlem. He's got a Uzi, he's got 38, 357 Magnums, shotguns, whatever you got, you know. And and, <laughs> and he's out there on the street with a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. You know, I remember the I remember that image well. And showing the actors how to properly and like how you would shoot too, because a lot of times in movies. Not everyone holds a gun right or shoots correctly. So you want to make things look right. So it's as accurate as could be anyway. And uh, it was a lot of fun. My dad had a great time. I, I think it's one of the, the things he always talked about. 
Uh, <laughs> he was on, great. Being on the great. shoot. He's a good guy, too. Uh, yeah. I remember a scary moment with that was the scene was the main actors have to jump out of the van and they get into a shootout. The van drives off. One of the actors is firing out the back of the van. Yep. And then the van drives off out of and we cut. Now, the dangerous part was they had to drive around the block to come, to return to the set. And these guys were driving around, just the two of them, with guns. And we kept wondering, what if the cops pulled them over or something? And these guys got heavy weapons. We didn't, we, I don't think we told the police that day that we were, because they would have, they would have been, I well, think they would have radioed another, the cops in the neighborhood that, you know, there's a, what was going yeah, we, on. I remember getting we really worried. Possibly, we could not possibly close First Avenue, multiple right. blocks like yeah. we would have liked to. So you have to shoot in small sections. So the section was these guys in the van hanging out of the back of the van are shooting out and they take off and then we cut and then we would move and shoot the, the van moving. But these guys went around the block with the right. back of the with van guns. open and he, they're hanging right. out of the back with guns and stuff. We shot that near Rayo restaurant on 114 so Pleasant Avenue. I guess that was a pretty normal a normal sight in that neighborhood maybe. I don't know. <laughs> people, people didn't really think much of it because uh, again it was well, a rough it was, neighborhood that was, yeah that, that especially during that era there was a lot of real shootouts that would go on this you know the late 80s early 90s there was crack was a big problem yeah. and yeah. uh there was a or it's cocaine but like people like to call it crack so they could you know make it seem like that's worse than cocaine because it's that was a racial thing that the government did well anyway that's a whole other story <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they financed did, their war in we uh, did in, see in Panama, uh, we were in queens in queensbridge we were Oh, we remember we wrapped up one night and, and there were real gunshots. And yep. I remember being outside and I see this this kid. He was a kid, like a high school kid walking. and He's limping. And limping. I can see the back of his, his calf was bleeding. Calf was shot. I mean, yep. he got shot. And yep. it, this is real. That was real. I, I remember the guys in the, in the neighborhood going, see, this ain't movies. This is real. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yeah, I know. I grew up with the same type of neighborhood. It's <laughs> bullying me. I know. Yeah. But, uh, it was. Yeah, that was that was rough. That was that neighborhood was was dicey uh it was that was a, that was a, that was i think worse than east harlem yeah yeah it was it, it was definitely a notch or two the good thing was that they all liked lenny who owned the bar so uh you know they, they we sort of had their he sort of set up a situation in the neighborhood where people sort of were cool with us uh so that kind of worked out well yeah, he protected us and and people knew who he was and yeah. so we were under his umbrella of uh protection right. there, you know exactly we're listening to Stoned Alchemy here, and uh, Mike and I are talking about No Exit and the joys of filmmaking. And we're going to actually continue next time with Mike's tale. Until then, many, many more tales to tell about No Exit. <laughs>